connection card. If you have the physical connection card, we're going to collect it at the end of the service. If you did the digital one, you can just hit send whenever you're done. Uh, good to see you guys this morning. My name is Phil. I'm the senior pastor here. Um, let me just say one other thing about the Hurricane Ida. Isn't that, was that what this one was, Ida? The relief that we're doing. A number of you guys have, 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 have let us know that you, know, you lost cars, your house was damaged, and, uh, and so we have, in trying to respond to that, uh, we have uh, not only an opportunity for you to let us know what your need is, but also for another week, we're going to have on our push pay app the giving option open uh, for hurricane relief, uh, so for flood relief. So there'll be another week. A number of you guys already gave generously to that, and we're going to be able to just get that to people who are part of our church who are affected. And, uh, and if, if, you, if God leads you to give uh, to that, uh, just go to the push pay app and you know, you can scroll down and you'll see that there's a, an option for uh, flood relief. Um, all right, well, I'm in, this, I'm in this series now. Well, it's kind of not a series. I, I'm doing standalone messages. And normally, I plot out my, my sermon series for like the whole year. And, but I just felt like for the month of September, let me leave it open and just kind of get a sense of what God is saying. And as we're getting ready to move into the fall and excited about our campaign that we're going to be doing and life groups opening up today. So encourage you to, if you know the group that you want to be a part of or that you've been a part of, sign up today because the sooner you sign up, the easier it is for us. Uh, life group leaders, don't forget, you'll get email reminders. But uh, Thursday night at 7 o'clock, if you're a life group leader, we have a meeting here and we're going to go over all the details. And so we will see you there. But uh, uh, with all, all the stuff going on, I just wanted to kind of, you know, just leave it open and say, God, what, what is it you, you're saying right now to us as a church? And, and so in our staff meeting, every Tuesday, we, we meet together for the morning and, um, and we start with prayer. And so one Tuesday, we'll, we'll go over personal prayer requests and just well, how can we pray for one another's families and what's going on? Then we'll pray, we'll pray together. And then the following week is always, I call it like macro prayers. Like what are the big things that we think God is saying and speaking to our church? What do we need to be praying into? Like what is God up to? And so this past Tuesday was a macro prayer time. And, uh, and every single person, uh, everyone on staff, we all really had the sense that we're in the midst of God doing something. Like God is, we feel like this is kind of a special time. You know, we're, we're doing 21 days of prayer. We do that twice a year. We've done it for years. We start off the fall with 21 days of prayer. We start off the new year with 21 days of prayer. And it's always good. It's always rich. God always honors it. But we feel like there's kind of something different going on this go-round. And we've just kind of seen that, like, God is really up to something, preparing us for something. And, and so, and, and I think a number of you guys feel that way, too. We've had uh, in our, our early morning prayer time, which is from 6 to 7, right here in this room, uh, and also people join us on Facebook Live. So the amount of people who are joining us at 6 a.m., either in person or on Facebook Live, has been like averaging like over 60 people every single day. So that's encouraging. That's more than we usually have. And so it seems like God's stirring people up for prayer. And, and I know some other people will, will watch the, the prayer time during the day and, and maybe pray in the evening or whenever that is. You can do that on Facebook Live. We had a great time on Saturday, uh, really, really seeing God's, God's power as we prayed together. And, and so I just feel like God is up to something, and I want to speak into that a little bit more today. I talked last week about our need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so the passage, the main passage that I talked about was Zechariah 4.6, where it says, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And so, so the big picture of what God is up to in our life is that he wants to fill us with his Holy Spirit. He wants to live inside of us. And that's kind of what he's been up to the whole time. It says this in Colossians 1, 26 to 27. It says, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people, it's a mystery. It's not like a CSI mystery, like a whodunit, put the clues together. When the Bible talks about a mystery, it means something that God was going to do, but wasn't, wasn't unveiled yet. Like people didn't know what God was up to. And so actually it talks about this in another verse where it says angels long to look into this. This mystery disclosed to the Lord's people, to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. See, what everything has led to 
is that the Holy Spirit, God, can live inside of us through the Holy Spirit. And that's what everything has been about. Right? God's presence with his people is a theme all throughout Scripture. So you saw the Israelites, when they're wandering around in the wilderness, God's presence would be over the Ark of the Covenant, would be in the tabernacle. Then you had Solomon's temple, and and God showed up and filled Solomon's temple with his presence, and the glory and the presence of the Lord was part of Solomon's temple. Then uh, Ezekiel had this vision, which was a tragic vision, where he saw the Spirit of God departing from the temple. And so the Israelites thought, like, okay, we need a temple so that God can dwell with us in the temple. But what this verse in Colossians is saying is, no, 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 God was up to something much bigger than that. God doesn't want a building to dwell in. God wants people to dwell in. God wants to fill us with His Holy Spirit and live inside of us that we are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. And that's what it's all been about. Jesus died on the cross. Not just so you can get your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life and you can know that you'll go to heaven when you die. Yes, that's part of it. But he died on the cross so that we could be cleansed out, so that we could be forgiven, so that we could receive his righteousness, so that we can become the temple of the Holy Spirit, so that God could live inside of us. You see, so if we talk about the need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, It's not just so we can become these, like, you know, super religious people. God wants to fill us with His Holy Spirit because He wants to empower you to live an impossibly great life. See, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit so you can have an impossibly great marriage. So you can, in your marriage, have two people who are filled with God's love, loving each other, and that's an impossibly great marriage. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit so you can have an impossibly great relationship with your children. Whatever, whether they're little, whether they're old, wherever they're at, God wants to fill you with his Holy Spirit so you can live an impossibly great life. God wants to fill you with your Holy Spirit, whatever your vocation is, whatever job God has called you to. It's not just a job to pay the bills. God wants to fill you with his Holy Spirit so you can... Do God's will and do God's work and be a blessing, whether it's like you run a business and there are goods and services that you produce or or you're part of a team or whatever it is. God wants to fill you with his Holy Spirit so you can live an impossibly great life. I love this passage from Acts 10.38 where Peter's preaching and he's kind of summing up the ministry of Jesus and he says this about Jesus, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power And how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. See, we're to continue the ministry of Jesus. And so God wants to fill us with his Holy Spirit so we can be anointed by God, so we can go about doing good. So that as you go from this place and wherever God takes you, whatever your family situation, your work situation, your neighborhood situation, that you're filled with the Holy Spirit to live this impossibly great life so that you can go about just like Jesus doing good. Amen? Anybody, you guys with me this morning? All right, let me know. Let me know that you're with me. And so, and so I think we're in this season, I think we're in this moment right now where God is preparing us for more. Where God is getting ready to pour himself out in our midst. I'm excited about this Holy Spirit night we have coming up in a couple of weeks. We haven't done one of those since before the pandemic. And, uh, and I think that God is getting us ready. And so what I want to preach about this morning is the power of prayer. The power of prayer. The primary way that we tap into the power source of the Holy Spirit is through prayer. That's how we do it. And and one of the reasons we do 21 days of prayer twice a year is that what we hope is that we could, you know, kind of light the fire a little bit. And maybe you get into the habit of praying on a regular basis. And not just so that you're praying 42 days out of the year, but that you're carrying that into the rest of your life so that you're connected to the power of the Holy Spirit, fulfilling his plans and purposes that he has for every nook and cranny of your life, being empowered to live an impossibly great life. And I don't know about you guys, but where I'm at right now, I'd say now, like more than ever, I am desperate for God's fullness. I am desperate for God's power and God's presence. As I think about, one of the things that I've I've read has kind of happened throughout this pandemic is it's kind of, people have called it the great reset button. 
So many people went through and life kind of stopped for 18 months in some ways. And so people were like, I don't know if I want to keep this job anymore. I don't know if I want to live here anymore. I don't know if I want this. I don't know if I want that. So people are making big changes in their life. What it's done for me, and I think what it's done for many of us, is I look at this next chapter of my life. I look at the next maybe 15 years, you know, I'm, I probably will retire, you know, we'll have a retirement party for me out in the lobby when I'm about 70, that's 15 years from now. I'm a young, I like to think I'm a young 55. Why, why are you laughing? What's, what's funny about that? Um, so anyway, as I'm thinking about that, I'm just like, I don't want to do this in my own power. I don't want to do it in my own might. I want to do it by the Spirit. I want to see God fill me. I want us to be a church that's, that's filled with people who are full of the Holy Spirit. That together we're living these impossibly great lives with the heart's cry that says, God, we don't want to do this in our own strength. We want to do this in your strength. And so, so what I'm hoping to do today is just to fan into flame what I think the Lord is already doing in a lot of us. That he's stirring up that fire. He's giving us that sense of there's more. And listen, maybe you've been kind of thinking, oh, I'm dissatisfied with my life. And oh, I don't know if I want this job. I don't, yeah, I don't know the details of your life. But I bet that what God is stirring up in you is not, oh, I'm going to have another job or I'm going to live in another city. Even though, you know, he might do that. I don't know. But I think that deeper than that is God is saying, there is more of me that's available for you. And I want you to take whatever dissatisfaction or whatever's going on in your life and channel that in to hungering and thirsting for more of God. Because I think God has more for us. And so, so if you take out your app, I put together usually uh, this, this outline. It's fill in the blank outline with all the verses and all the points. I've got five simple points for us. And the first one is the priority of prayer. The priority of prayer. So something that we see in the life of Jesus is that he prayed. I mean, he, prayer was a priority in his life. And so obviously if prayer was a priority in Jesus' life, how much more should it be a priority in our life, right? So Jesus would get up early in the morning and he would pray. He would minister all day long. And, and then he would stay, oftentimes like not go to bed and just stay up praying. And the disciples saw the connection between the incredible things Jesus was doing and the priority of prayer in his life. And they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Like we want to we we have going on in our lives what's going on in your lives. And we see that prayer is like essential to this. So teach us to pray. And so we see there was this priority of prayer. Too often for us, though, we view prayer like a 911 call, right? Like in case of emergency, break glass. We even talk about prayer that way a little bit. We'll say like, like, you know, well, I guess all we can do is pray. And really what we're saying is like, oh man, has it come to that? Has it become so that all we can do is pray? Well, no, for Jesus and for the apostles, for the disciples, it wasn't 911. It wasn't break glass in case of emergency. There was a priority for prayer. And the, the apostles carried in that priority of prayer that Jesus had into their ministry. Acts 1.14, they all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So they just, it was like baked into, the, into, the, into everything they did in their life. They just prayed. Anything came up, let's pray about that. It's Tuesday, let's pray. That's what they did. They prayed, Acts 2.42, as God was blessing the church and the church was expanding and it was growing, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And so a saying that we have around here is pray first. Right? The reason we do 21 days of prayer at the end of the summer, beginning of the fall, as we're going into the fall season, is we want to pray first. Right? We start the new year with 21 days of prayer because we want to pray first. As you get up in the morning and you get ready to go on with your day, pray first. If you're mad about something and you're about to take out your phone and like feverishly send off a text, pray first. Right? You might find that like praying first could save you a lot of trouble. You might find that like maybe I should change the tone of this text or maybe I don't even need to send this text. But we understand the priority of prayer and we pray first. My second point is the power of prayer. And so this point and the, the subsequent ones, I want us to look at an actual prayer that the apostles prayed that's recorded in Scripture. It's in Acts chapter 4. And to set this up, uh, the background of it is that Peter and John one day were going to the temple 
And they were going to the temple, not surprisingly, they were going to the temple to pray. And so as they're going to the temple, there was this guy, and, and the sense is, it seems like he was there all the time. This was like his spot, and he was lame, and he was a beggar. And so he'd sit in the same spot at the, the entrance of the temple, the gate of the temple, and people would like throw him a drachma, or they'd climb over him, or they'd ignore him. And so Peter and John are going into the temple, and the guy says, hey, can I have some money? And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, Bible says, looked right at him and said, I don't got any money, but what I do have I'll give you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, get up and walk. And so this guy, I mean, think about this. Like all these people, they knew this guy. They saw him every day. He gets up and he starts praising God and he starts dancing and he's jumping up and down. So a crowd gathers. Peter takes that opportunity and he preaches Jesus to him. Well, the Jewish leaders heard about this and they were like, man, I thought we dealt with this Jesus guy. Like, we just eliminated that problem, but now we've got his disciples going around doing the same stuff. And so they throw Peter and, James, Peter and, and John in jail, and then they threaten them and say, we don't want you to say anything more, or do anything more in Jesus' name. And Peter's like, yeah, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to keep talking about Jesus. And so then, Acts chapter 4, verse 23 It says, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and earth and sea and everything in them. And so let me walk you through a couple of things I think we can learn from this prayer that can help us in our lives. And the first one is this, powerful prayers are unified. Powerful prayers are united prayers. So they didn't go off on their own and just say, well, I'm going to pray about this on my own. They went back to their people. They went back to the community and they shared the struggle, the challenge that was going on. And then as one voice, they prayed together. It says this, a very well-known verse in 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. It says, if my people who are called by my name, God says, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. And so God says, listen, is the land in trouble? Can anyone say, I think, I think we can all agree, no matter where you come from politically or socioeconomically, we look at our land and we say, man, we're in trouble. And what God says is, if my people who are called by my name will together turn their eyes towards me, then I'm going to hear, and I'm going to forgive, and I'm going to heal. Aren't those three things that we desperately need right now? Whether we're talking about our family, whether we're talking about our church, whether we're talking about our community, whether we're talking about our land, that God would hear, that God would forgive, and that God would, that God would heal. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 18, uh, verses 18 to 20. He said, truly I tell you, Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, first of all, before I read the rest of this, what Jesus is trying to say is, you guys, I'm inviting you to pray in my name. You have no idea the power that's available in my name. You have no idea. You can pray in my name and things are going to be loosed in heaven. Things are going to be released on the earth. The power of prayer in my name is going to change the unseen realm and it's going to change the seen realm. You have no idea what is available to you when you pray in my name. And he went on and he said again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. So Jesus is saying, listen, you have no idea how powerful prayer is. You have no idea what it means to pray in my name. Secondly, if I see my people united together, not fighting and not complaining about this one and saying, I don't like that person and that person looks at me funny, but actually get united and fix their eyes on me. If it's three of them and they're joining hands, Jesus says, I'm going to join that prayer circle. I'm going to get right in there. If it's prayer that's happening in a room like this, Jesus says, I'm going to be right there in the front row. Wherever two or three are gathered together in my name, I am right there with them. Now, one of the things that I love, and it's been kind of a fascination of my life, and I think it actually is something that God used to get me to the Vineyard Movement, 
is that I've always loved reading about revivals. Revivals are, are periods of time throughout history, like Acts chapter 2, and that's a time of revival when God is moving and working and thousands of people are coming to faith. But God has done this all throughout history, all over the world. You know, there was this guy named Savonarola who was, you know, hundreds of years ago, St. Francis of Assisi. Uh, there was the first great awakening in England, and that involved John Wesley and George Whitfield, and, and God really moved in England. There was the second great awakening in the colonies, in the American colonies. God moved in a powerful way. There have been revivals in, like, Colombia, in Brazil, in Argentina, in China, in Korea. Like, this is something that God will do. And, uh, and there was, I would say there was a revival or a renewal that was going on in the church 25 years ago when I came into the vineyard that God was kind of using the vineyard to kind of stir up. And that had a lot to do. Because I, I was like, I don't want to read about revivals anymore. I think I want to experience one, you know. And I heard there was something going on. So I'm like, I want in on that. And uh, there's this one revival. It happened in Wales in 1903 to 1904. And it was a powerful time. God visited his people in an incredible way. And, uh, and so you had people all over this little nation of Wales, they're praying. And during this two-year period, they, they say that about 10% of the population turned to Christ. So you had the church, but then on top of that, you had 10%. That's a lot. Imagine if 10% of the United States like, came to Christ in a two-year period. That's what happened in Wales. And God was visiting. God was moving. Worship services were going. Churches were filled. And it, it had an effect on the community. Crime was cut in half for those two years. Uh, public drunkenness. Bars had a hard time staying open because everybody was just wanting to go to church, wanting to worship God. And what's, what's great about this revival is it was sustained. They went back 10 years later and they found that 85% of the people who were converted during that two-year period, they were still in church. Now, the Welsh revival, all these other revivals you can point to like one, like one leader that God used, the Welsh revival was a little bit different. There was this guy named Evans Roberts that, that God used, but, but there was this guy who, somebody who, who studied the Welsh revival, he said this. He said, if it be asked why the fire of God fell on Wales, the answer is simple. Fire falls where it's likely to catch and spread. As one has said, Wales provided the necessary tinder. Here were thousands of believers unknown to each other in small towns and villages and great cities crying to God day after day for the fire of God to fall. This was not merely a little talk with Jesus, but daily agonizing intercession. See, powerful prayers are unified. And God had people praying all over the nation of Wales, sowing into that. And then God visited the country in a mighty way. And listen, what God is doing in our midst right now is we're focusing and we're seeking God during these 21 days. I'm not saying that God's going to change the nation because of our prayer meeting. But what I am saying is what if God is speaking to other Christians and other churches and other people all around and we're part of this unified thing that God is doing that we don't know about and God's getting ready to strike the match and the tinder is kind of all ready to, uh, to go on to a, into a full blaze. And so powerful prayers are unified. Something else that we see from this passage is that powerful prayers are scriptural. Powerful prayers of scriptural, Acts uh, chapter 4, verse 25. So they gather together, they're praying, You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. So what they do is they had, they're facing this situation where they're getting a lot of heat because of their, the way they're following Jesus. And he said, they say, God, you spoke by the Holy Spirit through your servant David. And what they did is they anchored their prayers to that promise that was in Scripture. And so powerful prayers are prayers that are anchored to promises that God has made in Scripture. Now there's something that's going on in Christendom these days, in the Western church. There are a lot of Christians who are looking at the Bible and are deconstructing it. And what I mean by that are saying like, you know what, yeah, we don't really, we don't like this part, but we like this part. We like the red letters, we like the sayings of Jesus, but not all the sayings of Jesus. Some of those might have been, we don't, we don't like those, we like some but not others. Or they say, we don't like Paul so much. You know, Paul, he gets a little strident, we don't really like some of the things he says, but we like John. 
John's talking about love. We love that. And the Old Testament, well, we don't really... We like some of the Psalms, but we don't really like the Old Testament because that's a little too, I don't know, bloody and confusing. We don't like that. And I just, just want to make something very clear to you. We here at the North Jersey Vineyard, we believe in the authority of Scripture. We believe in the authority of the Bible. We believe that over a 1,500-year period that God spoke by the Holy Spirit through Moses and through Isaiah and through David and through John and through Peter and through others, and that what we have is something that's authoritative. Now, some of it is really easy to understand. You know, like you don't need me up here explaining a lot of it, right? Like the Bible says we're to love each other. It's like, okay, we're supposed to love each other. Let's love each other. Other parts can be a little more complicated. Other parts you need to understand, you know, culturally what was going on, maybe even the geopolitical situation, what were the cultural norms, and some of it can be a little difficult. But we believe that over that 1,500-year period that God spoke by the Holy Spirit to various men, and he wanted us to have a book, and we have the book that he wants us to have, and that book is authoritative. Now, there's a lot I could say about this moment that we're in of deconstruction. I could talk about it theologically. I could talk about it spiritually. But let me just talk about it practically for a moment. If you kind of go through that deconstruction process when it comes to Scripture, I think you are cutting yourself off at the knees. You are removing something that could be very powerful in your life. The ability to find a promise that God has given and for you to stake your prayers to it. To be able to say, you spoke by the Holy Spirit. And now I'm going to claim this promise that you made. See, powerful prayers are scriptural prayers. And, and this has been a huge part of my life for the last 25 years. I have been, as I pray for this church, as I pray for my family, as I pray for situations, I find Bible verses and I, I stake my prayers to those promises. So, example, one of the things that I pray for on a regular basis is that we would be a church that doesn't only bless and empower people who are already Christians, but that will always be a church that helps people who are unchurched or who don't know Jesus yet find a relationship with Jesus. We have a, we have a baptism coming up, a lot, about, a, about a month we've got a baptism. We do baptisms, I think, in a really cool way. Uh, we, have, uh, we have the tub right here on the stage, and the baptism happens during worship, during our worship set, and it's just electric, because as we're worshiping God, we're seeing people get baptized, and, and it's just such an incredible celebration. And so I know a lot of you have said, hey, when are we going to do a baptism again? And so just want to encourage you, if you want to get baptized, you have an opportunity a month from now, sign up today on your connection card, and, uh, and we'll be in touch and kind of get you ready for that. But anyway, the promise that I hold on to is in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. God wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. So when I pray for the lost, when I pray for people who don't know Jesus yet, I say, God, you said by the Holy Spirit through your servant Paul that you want all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. I pray and I have prayed for years for this church, for God to use our church, not just to bless a few people, but that we would lift up Jesus so that lots of people could be blessed, so that we could actually maybe have an impact on the region, that we could see a lot of people getting life from God. And, and one of the passages that I stake that prayer to is Isaiah 43, 5 to 6. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bring your offering, offspring from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, <clears throat> and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. And so I pray. I'm like, God, draw people to yourself. We want to lift up Jesus. Draw people from 17 north and 17 south and Route 80 west and Route 80 east. Lord, draw your sons and daughters from afar that your house would be full. Some of you who know, you know, the journey that we went on to get this building. We had a seven-year process to get this building. We had a federal lawsuit. We had a couple years that were really rough, where we were having to pay a very expensive lease on our current space while we were paying this very expensive mortgage, not being allowed to use it. And so things got rough, and there was a period in that time when the Holy Spirit spoke 2 Corinthians 9-8 to my heart. And I prayed 2 Corinthians 9-8 
every day for years. I still pray it every day for years. And 2 Corinthians 9.8 says, God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you can abound in every good work. And I have no doubt that my staking, you know, holding on to that promise, many of you holding on to that promise, is what got us through this period that we can come here today and we can worship. And a lot of you who are new, you have no idea what a miracle it is every single week that we gather together to worship God in this place. But you see, there's a, there's a verse in 2 Corinthians 1.20, and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but it's worth revisiting. Because there are over 4,000 promises in the Bible. 4,000. Whatever your life situation is right now, whatever you're going through, I'll tell you there's a promise in the Bible that you can stake your prayers to. And it says this in 2 Corinthians 1.20. No matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. And so what that means, there's these promises. Any situation that you're dealing with in your life, God sent Jesus, and because Jesus died on the cross and rose again, the wall is down, the veil is torn, and so now all of these promises can come to God's sons and daughters because of what Jesus did. So God sent Jesus down, that's the yes. We hold on to that promise through our prayers. We send the amen back to God, and then God releases his promises, releases his blessing, releasing his provision to his people. So whatever it is you're going through right now, whatever your situation is, I want to encourage you, just like what we're seeing here from the disciples, find a promise. Find a promise from God and stake your prayers to that promise. Maybe you feel right now that you're just kind of going through it. That life is really hard and you're burdened and you're tired and you're exhausted and you're overwhelmed. Psalm 32 verse 7, you are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. Hold on to that prayer. Take that prayer. Say, God, you spoke by your Holy Spirit through your servant David, and I'm laying hold of this promise thousands of years later. Maybe you feel like you're undergoing spiritual warfare. Bible makes it really clear that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but angels, principalities, and demons. And maybe you think, man, the opposition that I'm feeling right now, this isn't normal opposition. This isn't normal like life is hard. There's some like evil spiritual energy to what, what I'm going through right now. And then you claim the promise of 1 John 4, 4 that says, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Maybe you go, you're dealing with a lot of anxiety, dealing with a lot of fear. And you're having a hard time sleeping at night. And there's just this anxiety and this dread that's over you. Psalm 27 verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Now there are 4,000. I'm just getting started. I'm going to go through all 4,000. No, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Let me give you one more. This is a great promise for you to hold on to every day of your life. A promise that you can, you can claim. When you leave your house in the morning or your apartment, and you're going to go out into the world, and you're going to deal with whatever it is you're going to deal with as you're out there, and you can, you can hold on to this promise, and then hold on to it again when you come home at night, as you're coming into your home, and into your, your family relationships, and into that place of comfort and consolation. Psalm 121, verses 7 to 8, the Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming, and you're going, both now and forevermore. See, there are promises, promises we can hold on to. And when we pray this way, right, our, our scriptural prayer isn't just a prayer for the moment. It's a prophecy to our future. We're saying, God, you've made promises, and I'm laying hold of these promises, and I'm believing that you're doing this work in my life, and you're changing me, and you're leading me, and you're making me more like Jesus, and you're fulfilling your plans and purposes for me. So I'm laying hold. I, I am speaking into my future through your promises. And this isn't name it and claim it. This isn't Santa Claus. This isn't a genie in a bottle. A genie in a bottle says, your wish is my command. When we're praying scriptural prayers, we're saying, God, your command is my wish. God, I want your promises, and I'm going to apply your promises to my, to my life. And so the last point is this. Powerful prayers are bold. 
Powerful prayers are bold prayers. Verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. I love the way the disciples reacted because there's some heat that's coming their way. They're going to get they're thrown in prison, they're going to get martyred, and they don't pray, oh God, protect us, oh God, help us to like, find a basement that we can just stay in for the next three years, oh God, help us to write letters to our congressmen, or they, they don't do that. What they do is like, okay God, there's heat going on right now, God, we need more of your power, we need more of your boldness. God, you know what? They're they're upset that we like healed this one guy in the temple. God, stretch out your hand and confirm your word with even more, with signs and wonders. It was a bold prayer. And the way God responded to that bold prayer is I think how God always responds to bold prayers. He shook the house that they were in. The Holy Spirit was poured out and they knew the power and the fire of God and they were filled with a boldness. They were filled with a strength and they went out and boldly continued to proclaim the name of Jesus. And that came because of of unified, scriptural, bold prayers. God moved in a powerful way. James 5.16 says, The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The word for fervent is the word energeo. It's where we get the word energy. And so God is looking for some bold prayers. God is looking for some bold prayers. People who will pray with fervency, who will pray with energy. People who are desperate for God to move again on the earth and will pray with fervent boldness. God honors bold prayers because bold prayers honor God. And so in preparation for this message... You know, I just felt like God speaking about prayer. And so there's this book called The Circle Maker by this guy, Charles, uh, by this guy, uh, Mark Batterson. And some people had recommended this guy to me. He pastors a great church down in D.C. And so the, the title of this book, it's about prayer. And, uh, and The Circle Maker, that, that's taken from something that you can read about in the Talmud. There was this guy named Honi. And Honi lived in the first century B.C., So he lived about a generation, a generation and a half before Jesus. And Honey was this eccentric, kind of wild-eyed sage dude who didn't live inside Jerusalem. He lived outside of the walls of Jerusalem. And so, you know, everybody knew about Honey. Honey was like, he's like, you know, we don't have prophets right now, but he, you know, if we had a prophet, he'd be a prophet. He's this crazy-eyed guy. He comes in every now and then. And so this was a tough time for the Israelites. This historians call this the intertestamental period. Because the Hebrew scriptures closed in around uh, 400 B.C. with the book of Malachi. And for the next 400 years until Jesus came, like there were no prophets. There were no words from God. There was, it was silent. There was nothing. And so it was a spiritually dark time. To make matters worse, there was Roman occupation. So the Israelites are dealing with God. We're in the promised land, but the Romans are here. What's going on? And to make matters even worse, there was a really bad drought. Like not, you know, like a bad drought. The crops were going to fail. People were going to die. It was really bad. And so Honey, he came from whatever cave he was staying in, and he shows up in, in Jerusalem. And he's got this big shepherd's staff, this like six-foot staff. And so he marches right where all the people are, and he plants himself, and he takes this staff and kind of like a protractor or like a, like a compass, he just puts it in the ground, and he turns, and he goes like this, and he makes this perfect circle. And so now there's a crowd. People are watching. People are like, what's crazy Honey going to do? And so Honey prayed this, this bold prayer. He said, Lord of the universe, I swear before your great name that I will not move from this circle until you have shown mercy upon your children. So Honey draws the circle. And he says, God, I'm not going to move. I'm going to stay here. And I'm going to like literally stay in this circle until you move on behalf of your children. Now, as soon as he prayed that, it began to rain. But it was a light rain, and people were like, wow, it's raining, wow, it worked, that's awesome, that's great. But then Honey wasn't enough for him, he prayed again. He said, not for such rain have I prayed, but for rain that will fill cisterns, pits, and caverns, 
And so according to the eyewitnesses, again, this is written about in the Talmud, all of a sudden it turned into a torrential downpour. People who were witnesses say that the raindrops were the size of eggs. And it was just, all of a sudden, people went from, like, excited to worried. Because now they're afraid of flash floods. And so they ran up to the Temple Mount because it was, you know, there was so much rain that was coming. But Honi stayed in that circle, and he prayed again. And he prayed, he said, not for such rain have I prayed, but for rain of your, of your favor, uh, your blessing, and your graciousness. And then the rain shifted from this torrential downpour to a steady rain that gave the Israelites all the rain that they needed. And so Honi knew that, that God had to move. And what he did is he literally put himself in a circle and he said, I'm not moving, God, until I see your promise fulfilled. And so I'm not saying to us, I'm not saying that we should become wild-eyed prophets who live in caves. But what I am saying is that, and what I really do believe God is speaking to each and every one of us, no matter where you're coming from, whether this is all new to you, or you've been a Christian for years, whatever, God is inviting you to something. And he's inviting you, and he's saying, I want you to draw some prayer circles in your life. I want you to have some things in your life where you say, God, there are promises in your word, and what I'm experiencing right now in your promise, there's a gap. And so, God, I'm going to stay in this prayer circle, and I'm not going to leave this prayer circle. I'm going to keep praying until I see your promise fulfilled. Remember when Jesus told that parable about the, the widow who needed, needed justice? And so she went to this unjust judge. And she'd every single day, like, I need justice, I need justice. And finally she wore out the judge. And Jesus said the reason he told that parable is so that we would always pray and never give up. And so I think what that means is that for us to lay hold of the promises, yeah, you know, for Honey it was kind of easy. He did the circle and it immediately began to rain. It usually doesn't work that way. Usually you've got to contend for it. Usually you've got to stay in that circle. Usually you've got to keep praying. You've got to, to lay hold of the things that God has for you, the things that God's promised to you. That's how we partner with him. That's how we cooperate with him. And I think there are some things that, would, that we should have as part of like a prayer circle for our whole life. Right? You should draw a prayer, prayer circle around your marriage. And you should pray. You should say, God, I'm going to pray for my marriage. And I'm not leaving the circle until you, you bless us with a marriage that's unified, where your love is flowing, where there's restoration. If you've got kids, that's a prayer circle that you should stay in until the day you die. That you continue to pray for your kids, whether they're little, whether they're old, whether they're walking with Jesus, whether they're not. That you would have that prayer circle and you would say, God, I'm not moving. I am going to pray, God, for my kids to have a life-giving relationship with you. I am going to pray for you to move in their life, for you to protect them, for you to fulfill your calling. And I'm not moving from this circle, God. I'm going to stay here and I'm going to keep praying. I think that maybe if you're, you know, have a, have a business... And your business, you founded your business, not, you know, not just because you wanted to make some money, but there's a blessing that you want to bring. And maybe your business is part of the calling that God has for your life and that you have that prayer circle. And you say, God, I want to fulfill the plans and purposes that you have for me. I would love for lots of us to draw prayer circles around our church. And just say, God, you said that the church is the hope of the world, that you will build your church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. And God, we're going to pray and we're going to stay in the circle for your spirit to be poured out, for people to come to know Jesus, for marriages to be healed, for lives to be restored, for people to be set free, for people to really learn how to love one another. And we're going to stay in this prayer circle and we're going to keep praying until your spirit comes and covers the earth. Amen? And you know what? Something that we talk about here all the time is we talk about your purpose, right? You're made on purpose for a purpose. And so God revealed to me years ago, a long time ago, probably 30, longer than that, 30 years ago, what my purpose is. And my purpose, obviously, it involves my marriage, it involves my kids, but it involves me leading this church. And so I didn't have this language for this until I read this book this past week. But I've had prayer circles that I've been praying for, for years. And then I'm going to keep praying these, these prayer circles. I'm going, to keep, I'm going to keep praying until God calls me home. I'm going to keep praying for God to move and for God to work. And so you need to know what your purpose is. You need to know what God put you on this earth for. 
You need to know the plans and the callings that he has for you, the unique, unique way that he wants to bless the earth, bring his kingdom through you. And you need to know what that is, and you need to draw a prayer circle, and you need to say, God, I am going to keep praying. I'm going to believe you that your promises would be fulfilled until all the ministry doors are opened up that you have for me, until I see the fruit that you've promised that my life's going to bear. I'm going to stay in this prayer circle, and I'm going to believe that you're going to finish the work that you started in me. I'm going to believe you for all of the good deeds that you've prepared in advance for me to do, and I'm not leaving this prayer circle until I see the promise fulfilled. And I'll tell you, if we had a church full of people who drew prayer circles just like Honey and stayed in those prayer circles and prayed for their marriages and prayed for their kids and prayed for their businesses and prayed for their church and prayed for their purposes to be accomplished, to be fulfilled in Jesus, for all of those promises to be fulfilled, all the promises that are yes and amen in Jesus, I can't even imagine the power and the presence and the life that could be released from this place. And so I want to encourage you to spend some time this week thinking about your prayer circles. If you're married, that's easy. That's one of them. If you've got kids, that's easy. That's another one. If you know your purpose, that's easy. That's another one. If you don't know your purpose, hey, come to the growth track right after this. It's join the team where you're going to have an opportunity to find out where you can serve God here in this church. And there might be a connection between where God has you serve and what your purpose is. We can help you discover it. But once you discover it, you make that another circle. And you say, God, I'm not going to move until your blessing and your favor and your graciousness and your plans are fulfilled and flowing in my life. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you, God, that you have invited us into partnership with you. God, I thank you that you've given us this incredible privilege of being able to pray in the name of Jesus. And whatever we bind is bound. Whatever we loose is loose. We pray in your name. And so God, I pray that for all of our individual lives as well as our corporate life together, God, that we would have renewed faith for prayer. That we'd have renewed strength. That we would, that we would create these prayer circles. And that we would look to you. And God, that we would do it unified, Lord, that we do it scripturally, that we do it boldly. And so, God, I pray in Jesus' name that you would release faith and vision in our hearts that will turn into prayers, that will turn into restored marriages, that will turn into kids walking with you, that will turn into, God, your, your church moving and working in a powerful way. And Lord, I, you know, I was, I was thinking about this, this, uh, I'm going to talk to you now for a moment. I was just, I'll go back to talking to God. But you know what? I, there's this, uh, this, this woman in our church. And she was telling the story about, about her younger brother and how for years he was just so far from God. And, and he was just living a, you know, a reckless life. And his, his mother, her mother, prayed every single day for her son. Had that prayer circle, probably didn't, you know, use that language, but had that prayer circle, prayed for her son. And about two years ago, God burst through this, this guy's, the door of his life. And he started following Jesus, and he's been in the process of having Jesus put his life back together. But his mother died a few years before that. And so she didn't get to see it. But her prayers, I'm sure had everything to do with where her son is right now. And so listen, I think as we draw these prayer circles, that in some ways we're going to, you know, we're going to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. But there may be some things that we're called to pray and we're called to sow into that we may never see. But we pray and we trust God that he's faithful. And so I just think right now, right now, the Holy Spirit wants to impart some strength to you. Strength to pray. Strength to believe God. You've got some things going on in your life, and you know it's, it's not good. And maybe you don't even have hope that it can change. But I think that right now, the God of hope wants to put hope inside of you 
And then that hope is going to be translated in the, in the days and weeks and months and even years ahead through prayer. Saying, I'm going to be in this circle and I'm going to keep praying. So Lord, I pray in Jesus' name right now that you'd fill us with strength, fill us with faith, fill us with hope, that we would believe you for good things. And listen, if you're here right now and you don't know Jesus, and you're not following Jesus, and he's not really a part of your life, here, here's the deal. I could give you a million reasons why you need to turn your life over to Jesus, but here's, here's one. Here's one of the million. God has more for you. God wants you to live an impossibly great life. God wants to forgive you of all of your sins, and he wants to come and live inside of you. And in your life, you and God together, you're going to build something wonderful. You're going to build something that's going to last forever. Because now God is living inside of you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit and God is changing you from the inside out. You're going to find purpose. You're going to find hope. You're going to find joy. You're going to find strength to get through some hard things. You're going to find in Jesus something that things that you will not find anywhere else. And if you're here this morning and you say, you know what, I need this. I need this. And maybe some of you right now are even feeling the Holy Spirit kind of knocking on the door of your heart. Maybe your heart's beating a little bit faster. That's the Holy Spirit saying, I brought you here because I want you to open up the door of your heart so that we can start having a relationship. And if you're ready to do that, I want you to pray this prayer. You don't have to say it out loud. Just say it between you and Jesus. Say, God, I need you in my life. I need you in my life. I believe you offer me a better life and I'm ready for it. And so I ask you to come into my heart. I believe that you died on the cross and rose from the dead, that you're here now. So come and live inside of my heart through your Holy Spirit. I accept your free gift of salvation. And from here on out, God, I'm going to follow you. I want to be your disciple. I want you living inside of me and I give you permission to change me from the inside out. Keep your eyes closed, but if you prayed that prayer, do me a favor, just raise your hand if you prayed that prayer this morning. Okay, awesome. Awesome. Praise God. Praise the Lord. If you have a, a physical connection card, what you can do is you can check off on the back that you decided to become a follower of Jesus. If you do that, I'm going to reach out to you this week. I'll just send you an email. We can dialogue back and forth. If you don't have a physical connection card, you can text FOLLOW to 201-584-7188. And then I'll get your email, and I'll, I'll reach out to you this week. All right, God bless you guys. We're going we're gonna to have, we got some prayer ministry people over here. They're ready to pray for you. Listen, if God is speaking to you about a prayer circle... Go and share that with somebody. Say, God is, telling, God is calling me to pray for this thing. And maybe even name it to that person and they can pray with you that God would give you the strength that you need to continue to stay within that circle and to believe him for good things. Whatever you need right now, there's people over here. They'd love to have the opportunity to pray for you, for healing, for whatever, whatever your need is. God bless you guys. Have a great week. I hope to see many of you at 6 o'clock in the morning here uh, throughout the week. Um, God bless you. See you soon.